Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Because of the value of the SREX, because of the ITC, and because of the Solar for All program, we're able to provide solar at no cost to the homeowners and families that we work with in the district. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of cleantech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warrior, and thank you for your investment of the most precious resource that you have, your time. Today's entrepreneur, I promise, will not waste your time or mine. Nicole Steele started as Grid Alternatives Mid-Atlantic Executive Director in 2014 at a time when there was very little precedent for low-income solar policies and programs across the region. Under Nicole's leadership, Grid Alternatives Mid-Atlantic has installed more than 2 megawatts of solar on over 250 rooftops of low-income families. Now, I'll get that wrong in the brief intro you'll hear, and Nicole quickly challenges and corrects that, and that's fine. Fine as well. Nicole's leadership has led to visionary programs like the SolarWorks DC program, which trains district residents in solar installation and career readiness skills. One of the warming stories that we tell here today is an inspiration for how someone can go from homeless to helpful and empowered. And it is just such a really heartwarming story. I hope that you will stick around and listen to it. She's an inspiration and is dedicated to the equitable, renewable energy access and sustainable policy for all. You'll find more than 175 other inspiring and influential leaders' stories over at mysuncast.com. Hey, while you're there, do check out our Suncast tribe, subscribe to the newsletter so you don't miss a single episode or announcement. And definitely you'll want to click on that Aurora Solar banner so you can grab the latest goodies that they've dropped exclusive for the Suncast tribe. But for now, get ready for another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, Solar Warrior, today we have a fantastic interview ready for you. I have Nicole Steele of Grid Alternatives. Nicole has been empowering and elevating the lives of folks in the Mid-Atlantic for the better part of the last decade. And she has helped install nearly a megawatt of solar on more than 200 single family rooftop solar projects, more than 300 multifamily tenants now benefit from solar thanks to Grid Alternatives. And while you may be familiar with Grid Alternatives, those of you especially in California, the Mid-Atlantic operation has been run since 2014 by Nicole, where there was little precedent for low-income solar policies and programs in this region. The last four years have demonstrated Nicole's penchant for building partnerships and programs with clean energy organizations and governments throughout the Mid-Atlantic, providing clean solar access to low-income families in Maryland, Virginia, Delaware, and Washington, D.C. Nicole, stoked to have you on Suncast today. 
Hi, good afternoon. Very excited to be here as well. You aren't a career solar uh, executive, uh, as many of, uh, of the listeners of Suncast are. Tell me about your first foray into clean energy and how you kind of figured out this is where you wanted to focus your career. I don't think I knew what I wanted to focus on. I knew I wanted to work on making the world a better place. I knew I wanted to combat climate change issues. I knew that I have a background in design and politics and the environment. And so what what does one do with that? And down a very securitous path, I found myself in the solar industry. We're actually talking on my five-year anniversary at Grid Alternatives. No way. That's so exciting. It was me at my kitchen table, employee of one, Grid Alternatives Mid-Atlantic. And here we are five years later. Some of the stats you mentioned earlier are actually out of date. And I was... (laughs) That's cool. Let's update it. Um, But, you know, we've done over two megawatts of solar. We've done over 250 rooftops. And we're about to bring an additional three megawatts of solar online in 2019, all exclusively low income serving solar. So whether it be residential rooftop, community solar, subscriber share, or in a multifamily affordable housing complex. Uh, So we do all three of those and obviously a number of other things as well. Going back to what you were saying about how I ended up in solar, well, I actually, I went to art school and I still attribute that sort of creativity to the success of GRID and some of the work that I've done on my path here. You know, without being able to think outside of the box and feel like I can regularly innovate. Uh, If I didn't have that background, I think I wouldn't necessarily be in the same space. And honestly, who would have thought here I would be running a solar company, but halfway through my uh, schooling years, I uh, decided that I should probably think about getting a degree in something that would be a little bit more, you know, might pay the bills. (laughs) Uh, So ultimately ended up getting a degree in um, urban planning and yeah. environmental management. And so that's really what kicked off the movement towards towards the solar industry. And I did work in that space for some time. I was a land use planner, but really I would, I would say that the turning point was when the stimulus package was passed back in early Obama days and created the EECBG program, which mm-hmm. is the Energy Efficiency Conservation Block Grant Program. Yep. So the locality that I was working for at the time in Virginia received a direct grant from the Department of Energy oh, cool. for about $3 million. And fortunately, I was in, had positioned myself as the leader in the environmental space in the planning department. And thus, I was asked to run this program. And it was an exciting year and a half where we spent a lot of money and deployed a lot of renewable energy and energy efficiency ideas and applications. And that's really what got me excited about specifically solar and renewable energy and how that can really revolutionize sort of the work that we're doing in the environmental space. And that was related to the Alliance to Save Energy, or was that born out of the Loudoun County government? So after I spent all the money at at Loudoun County, I needed a new job. (laughs) (laughs) Worked yourself out of a job. (laughs) So that's when I transitioned over to the Alliance to Save Energy and worked in their policy shop for a few years. And it was actually another lucky happenstance of shortly after I started at the Alliance, I was asked to 
essentially put together a blue ribbon commission to come up with the next generation of energy efficiency policies. And still what I thought was pretty early in my career, I was working with some heavyweights as part of that commission. Wesley Clark, Francis Beinecke, Fred Krupp, George Pataki. Mm -hmm. It was an exciting time. And we did ultimately come up with a, a report that had a lot of innovative ideas around energy efficiency and, you know, really kind of pushed the Department of Energy at the time and CEQ to work on energy productivity and using all of our energy much more efficiently. Along that path, I had actually met the CEO of Grid Alternatives at a, a Women in Clean Energy event. Remember thinking that was kind of a cool idea. I'm really curious from the perspective of your work within energy efficiency, before you met the Grid Alternatives folks, what was the perspective in the Mid-Atlantic where solar was related? And in particular, within the sphere of policy and efficiency, how did solar play a role? How did other clean energy play a role? As an outsider, in quotations, how was it viewed within the organizations that you had as constituents? Yeah. And I'll actually start with, you know, local government. A lot of my connections during the time at the Alliance were state and local governments. At that time, which was only eight, nine years ago, a lot of times we could not say the word climate. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we could not say the word sustainability. We couldn't talk about green. So it was finding the language to talk about those things in a way that you know, was politically palatable. Fortunately, energy efficiency was because somewhere along the line, using energy more efficiently became sort of the bastion. It was it was that guiding light of the quote unquote renewable energy industry overall because it seemed safe. We had been working on it for a long time and everybody knows what a window is and what insulation right. is and what light bulbs are. But solar, if you're talking solar, wind, geothermal, all of that stuff is new, particularly eight or nine years ago. So, you know, we would sort of leverage, you know, the energy efficiency to get a number of other things included. One of the things that you used, we used to say at the Alliance, we would say, we don't care how, what type of energy you use, as long as you use it as most efficiently as possible. Hmm. I don't necessarily agree with that today at all. But that was the stance that we took to be bipartisan. I can identify yeah. with that too. And coming from, I mean, I was great. I was raised in South Carolina, raised as a Republican. And many of the people I know are, I mean, I, I sort of live in a bipartisan world now here in Durham, where it's predominantly progressive, but we are, I mean, North Carolina is surrounded in, uh, it's a red state. I can totally identify with why you would need to say and want to say even, and, and identify in many ways with the idea especially from an energy efficiency perspective. Hey, look, let's just be efficient with the resources we have. Look, mm -hmm. anybody can get behind that. Every Republican can get behind that, right? Like, let's be efficient with our dollars. And then let's talk about whether or not we're putting those dollars to work in the most efficient way in terms of like how, how we're incentivizing uh, other elements of the infrastructure. That's really interesting. Through that lens, I think that it's gotta be just so helpful and powerful for you Dealing at the, st at the state government level in particular now with building these programs alongside folks who want to champion sustainability, but find it hard still, I bet, to say climate and green in the era of a new green, a green new deal, right? What tools from that, we'll call it that sort of period in your life, do you feel have really helped you now 
as the director for Grid? You know, because I've been in the affordable housing space, because I've been in political advocacy spaces, because I've been in AmeriCorps myself, because I worked as a land use planner and worked with multiple, basically any government agency that would have an impact on land. I'm in a point where I am able to sort of connect all those dots. Mm. And I say, oh, you're doing that really cool thing. You should talk to this other really cool person. And by the way, there's some funding that you could completely leverage to make that happen. And so because I know a little bit about a lot, I think that's what's been able to help me excel in the expansion of what we do, because I'm really good at seeing that sort of bigger picture and how, what is the design of our communities? How do people play a role? How do we create humanistic systems? How do we make sure that the health, safety, and welfare is provided for by everyone in our communities? And sort of having that lens, I think has just been really helpful. If you could channel your inner Erica Mackey, what problem is grid alternatives solving? And how is that different in the mid-Atlantic than how grid has been functioning in California, if at all? My inner Erica Mackey says that I was in the solar industry during a time that only rich people had access to solar and really saw the need. And my buddy, Tim, and I decided to create an organization that really worked to fight for access for all. The heart of Grid Alternatives is making sure clean, renewable energy is accessible by everyone. And we're doing that through the installation of solar and providing solar electricity, the benefits of solar to lower income households, those frontline communities that are receiving the brunt of, you know, healthcare issues and climate issues and can really see a tangible difference in their lives by seeing a, you know, their utility bill cut in half by the installation of solar. And that really speaks to the solar freedom. And then making sure that we're also providing opportunity for those same folks in those communities to get up on the roof and see what it's like to be part of the solar industry and really have an opportunity to explore a possible career. So not only do we provide the benefits of solar to low-income communities, we provide the benefits of solar for low-income communities by creating career pathways and opportunities in Mm. the industry itself. And it's definitely that last piece that I think is most surprising for folks as they learn more about grid alternatives and the impact, the dual impact that you have, or maybe even the duality of the way that the funds are exercised. Did you seek out grid alternatives or vice versa? Honestly, I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) I do remember meeting Erica at the C3E conference up at MIT somewhere in the 2013 range and thinking grid alternatives seemed really cool. I had been in the federal level policy advocacy space for a few years at that point, quite frankly, was missing that on the ground tangible impact that you see, or at least what I was seeing when I was working for state and local government. Kind of kept like filed that card away And months later, somehow I had applied to be the executive director of Good Alternatives Mid-Atlantic. And within just a few weeks, there I was at my kitchen table. It's certainly, I think we found each other. You know, the fact that I have the affordable housing background, I have the political advocacy background, I have the fact that I was in AmeriCorps myself, I think was just really appealing to them. Tell me about 
going from your kitchen table to an office. Because this is this is a self-funding organization in many ways. You have to, your executive director, a lot of your job, as with most startup CEOs, is raising money. How do you decide who the first and maybe even the second employee are on your team to help you get to this dream? In the short term, the first few days of working at my kitchen table, I remember just reaching out to literally every person I could possibly think of that might be connected to this space to set up a coffee. Yeah. How can we partner? How can we coordinate? Mm -hmm. How can you help me? Do you want to be on my board? And that's how I got Catherine Hamilton to be my board president and John Powers and George Ashton and a whole nother Julia Hamm, like slew of powerhouse hitters to really help me build grid. And, you know, I, I throw my huge thanks out to that group. They love the idea of grid and they were, they were my biggest cheerleaders and still are. I couldn't have done it without that local support. And so once that was built and once we threw a big party, yep. so <laughs> we threw a big party in September of 2014 and made sure everybody knew that we were opening our offices which was, you know, actually a really good launch into the region because people were expecting a lot. That bar was set really high. We were able to deliver in a very short amount of time. And I think it was because people saw us as an organization that had previous experience. And so it had the sort of gravitas of California grid backing this brand new startup going, okay, well, so what do we do to be a solar installer? We need clients Mm. (laughs) and we need somebody that knows how to install. So my first couple employees were our outreach coordinator and our now construction manager. Our outreach coordinator had just moved here from Texas, completely unrelated to Mm. grid and our construction now manager, but was still very entry level when she made the big move from California to DC came from one of our grid offices out in California. And that was incredibly helpful to have, you know, her around to really help, you know, sort of build that grid vibe. (laughs) Um, We have a very unique community and we really are a family and we work really hard to, maintain that feeling, even though we've gotten so much bigger. I mean, here in the mid-Atlantic, five years later, there's 40 of us and we're probably the most diverse grid office across the country. If grid were stacked up against other for-profit companies, where would you stand in terms of overall employees, money raised, number of megawatts deployed? Do you have any idea of that? Yeah. And I think that's a really Good question, but I'm going to kind of turn it on its head for it. and say that while Grid is a turnkey solar installer, our purpose is not to compete with for-profit industry. Get it. And so we want to make sure that we are building policies and programs that are supportive in providing access to communities that otherwise would not have access yep. without the intervention of Grid. But if we're that successful, like we're getting that successful here in Washington, D.C., we also have sort of a, you know, as a nonprofit, we should get out of the way. Yeah. There will always be mission aligned elements in the work that we do. And so 
one of the unique sort of twists that we're working on here on the East Coast is, you know, like, how do we partner better with industry? How do we fill those voids, those gaps and add value to the areas that, you know, industry is not running with. And I was just having this conversation last night and it, it feels like everybody wants to be in the project management development financing space. Nobody wants to actually install. When I say that, I mean, nobody wants to employ a huge workforce to have, you know, sort of just ready. Oh yeah. It's to, expensive to, for deployment. Yeah. Yeah. Deployment well, it is incredibly expensive. Well, and so that's where we're sort of seeing our niche. Yeah. Let's talk about that because uh, I wanted to mention one of the things that is a, a jewel in the, in the cap of work that you have spearheaded, the SolarWorks DC initiative. Mm-hmm. You guys recently celebrated the 100th install under the SolarWorks DC initiative, which is a clean energy program that installs solar on homes of low to moderate income residents. But it also is a training ground, as you mentioned earlier, and I want you to help unpack this a bit. There's a story, I think it was a local TV station that covered the 100th install, uh, Mm -hmm. and they interviewed this guy, Mr. Donerson. He said, it's not like working. It's like I'm doing a service for the community and I'm getting paid for it. So it doesn't seem like a job. Tell me about Mr. Donerson. Tell me about the SolarWorks DC initiative and how this unfolded how this fits within the context of what we were just discussing around deploying uh, install yeah, crews. Absolutely. So it's been a little over two years now since we launched the first cohort of SolarWorks DC. And so it's a training program here in the district focused on training folks from under-resourced communities in DC. We're specifically targeting returning citizens, folks that are potentially just working on their GED, folks that are just looking for, you know, a second chance or a new opportunity. Mr. Donerson was one of them. And when it's funny to call him Mr. Donerson, Stephen. Stephen is actually an employee of GRID today and uh, went through our SolarWorks DC training program in 2018. And we knew we needed to pick him up just because of his spirit and passion around uh, bringing solar to the communities that the community that he's from, Stephen used to be homeless. He, you know, saw this as an opportunity to completely change his life. Mm. And it's exactly what it did. Wow. Uh, not at only did he stick with the program um, and utilize the resources to be successful in the program, he connected with the grid staff and made it clear almost from day one that he was interested in coming on board because he specifically wanted to serve his communities and give back to other trainees moving forward. And that's not the only story. Uh, we've graduated over 150 trainees here in wow. D.C. We're seeing about a 50 percent job placement rate into the solar industry specifically. Given the kinds of multivariate backgrounds of folks that come into your program, you must have one of the not only most patient staff, but most complex, comprehensive, organized training programs in our industry. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I mean, we have a lot of different types of opportunities on how to enter into the space. Mm -hmm. 
you know, you can come out for one day and be a volunteer and just see what it's like to carry a solar panel around the, someone's backyard. Yeah. <laughs> and you do a lot of that, even as fundraisers where folks, where companies can engage their employees in, in that process. Absolutely. Yeah. It is one of our opportunities to bring in our philanthropic dollars. So, That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. What are some of the more unique, creative ways that you guys have invented to engage those philanthropic dollars? I would say the corporate work day or the, the, the volunteer day is the number one thing that gets people excited. Um, when you hear about the opportunity of getting out on a roof and being part of a solar installation, you can see people's eyes open up and yeah. say, are you serious? So you're going to let me get on this roof and install someone's solar panels? Yeah. And I say, yeah, all you do is have to wear tennis shoes and go through orientation. And that's pretty much it. You don't have to know how to use a hammer. We'll teach everything. Really, we want to keep it that basic too, so that lots of folks have opportunity to get out there. And we have someone on staff right now that was part of a training program, uh, our summer youth employment training program. And he was like, not going to get on the roof. Absolutely. Hands down, not going to happen. And finally, my patient solar training supervisors uh, were you know, able to coax him up onto the roof. And, you know, he's been up there ever since. We wow. just left him here. <laughs> Amazing. Get him out of that nest. Yeah. 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 Nicole, what position would you say that you hold about our industry or broadly about solar that's controversial? I'm tired of the narrative that it's not possible to go 100% clean energy mm-hmm. in a short amount of time. I'm tired of it because it can happen. And so I know a lot of people would push back and say, you know, there's a long road ahead of us. There's just a lot of money that needs to be invested. Uh, there's a lot of minds that need to be changed. And, you know, I was like, well, you know, we need to do it. We're at this point in history of, you know, no more excuses. You know, following this thread, I would love to know a lot of the for-profit companies Sunrun, as an example, the largest in the land, tout the word resiliency. And, mm-hmm. you know, resiliency hits home hardest and first and foremost for the lowest income in our society. How are grid alternatives and your partners thinking about resiliency within the context of your programs? Making sure that we are pushing a strong narrative around those who are impacted most with climate change are the folks we should be serving and bringing into the clean energy industry and providing them access and opportunity to be part of this new clean energy revolution, which ultimately in turn provides them that greater opportunity to move about, move to different areas of the country, purchase better vehicles, better jobs, whatever it might be. But more specific to grid, we've done a number of storage, battery storage projects over the last couple of years. The first one we did was in Tacoma, Maryland, and it was at a lower income senior center. And we designed a battery backup system just for that case of an emergency. And when you have a number of older folks that need elevators, they need refrigeration for medicine, they need lighting to see, they need potentially even some other electricity for life-saving devices. Like we're quite literally saving people's lives Mm -hmm. if we're able to keep the lights on and the refrigeration on and the elevators on 
for those individuals in that senior living home. One of our other large storage projects was a 500 kilowatt hour facility here in Washington, D.C. in a multifamily affordable housing project. And it was to service the community center in the case of an emergency. And so that it's a a gathering place for the residents of that community to do some of those things that I just talked about and, you know, have a place to charge their cell phone, have a place to go and enjoy some AC. Considering those types of elements of making sure we have a place to go in case of an emergency is a really key element to that resiliency conversation. The other thing I would add is, We're not doing this yet in the Mid-Atlantic, and I knock on wood because I've been having a lot of conversations around how to actually do this here on the East Coast. But in California, we've started a clean mobility program where we're starting to install electric vehicle charging stations at households with our solar, with battery backup that then there's a rebate to access a new electric vehicle. And so not only are we providing an electric vehicle to a family that may not have even had a vehicle before, but is providing a vehicle that has almost no cost to it. So there's no fuel you need to purchase. There's very little maintenance on an electric vehicle. So it's considering a much larger sort of piece of the puzzle of like, and we're giving folks an opportunity to have that transportation that they need to drop their kids off at childcare and go to the job that they want rather than you know, taking the bus three hours to some job that maybe they, it's not their dream job. Yeah. But um, that's one of the biggest hurdles that we see as like a success marker for our solar job trainees. It's whether or not you have reliable transportation. And if you're able to wrap that into sort of that resilience model of the, the solar, the backup, the vehicle, it's also providing reliable transportation that gives somebody a job. Yeah. And so then they're, you know, again, part of this, you know, sort of economic transition for themselves and their whole family and their community. And so if you can imagine being able to do that on a much larger scale, and maybe not everything is free all the time, but we are working on finance products to make it just much more accessible. You know, we're having a lot of conversations with CDFIs Mm -hmm. and really figuring out what is CDFI? Community Development Financing Institution, I believe, somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) That was was actually a final question that I had around the structure of grid that I think is um, not always clear to folks. Some may perceive that these systems are just given away. That's not my understanding of how you structure it 100% of the time, at least. Can you provide some clarity around that? Well, not 100% of the time, but yes, we do a lot of no-cost solar installs around the country. And we're able to do that by creating good policies and good financing products Mm -hmm. in the areas that we work. And using Washington, D.C. as an example, when we worked on the solar for all and RPS bill a couple of years ago, the whole point was to make sure that that we were serving low-income communities. And so it's solar for all. So the the goal of the solar for all program was to make sure that essentially all low-income households receive solar in some capacity that reduces their utility bill by 50%, no later than 2032. Wow. To see that massive deployment happening and seeing those funds going exclusively to low-income neighborhoods is, you know, it's something that we're really proud of being part of. 
There's a lot of solar companies that have sprouted out of nothing in D.C. right now. And not only because of the solar fall program, but because not only did we get a 50 percent RPS passed a couple of years ago, we got a 100 percent RPS bill passed in the district um, late last year. And so why that's so important is because of the value of the SREX in the market today. And because of the value of the SREX, because of the ITC and because of the solar for all program, we're able to provide solar at no cost to the homeowners and families that we work with in the district. You know, the solar industry is increasingly competitive. How are you differentiating yourself and your company to close more sales? Our friends over at Aurora Solar, you know, the NREL validated solar sales and design tool that I've been mentioning lately. Well, they've conducted over a year of research into understanding precisely what makes a solar sales proposal succeed. And they've agreed to share their insights with Suncast listeners in a free ebook. It's called The Solar Sales Playbook for Proposals That Close. You can go to mysuncast.com forward slash Aurora to download this playbook for free. And if we've done our job right, you should also see the link in the description for this episode in your podcast player. Check it out. And thanks to Aurora for this amazing free resource. If you missed the recent announcement in episode 175, it's a rare five-minute episode, so I encourage you to go ahead and add it to your queue right now. Want to suggest a featured topic, nominate a guest, or even host your own podcast in Solar Power International's podcast lounge? This is also a great branding opportunity. If you're interested in being a guest, host, or sponsor, go to podcastlounge.live. That's podcastlounge.live to learn more and apply. Now back to the show. Beyond just the programs that you develop that themselves are giving back to the community, how are you paying forward in your own career some of these lessons and mentorship that you've experienced? I am involved in a number of women and renewable energy groups. I think it's really important to lift up other women, particularly in the solar industry. I can distinctly remember a number of incidences actually when I was just a little bit younger in my career and you know, folks not taking me seriously, mm-hmm. folks thinking I'm there to bring them coffee. And one of the things that drives me nuts is when someone will come up with an idea in a room and it'll kind of get glossed over. When I say someone, it's a woman mm-hmm. comes up with an idea in a room. Three minutes later, a guy brings up the exact same thing. And all of a sudden, it's the greatest idea ever. I make it a point, And this is something that a bunch of women's groups have done around the country over the last handful of years. But make it a point to say, I really appreciate that when, like that idea, so-and-so's idea, yeah. giving credit to the woman who initially said that or not even waiting for somebody else to bring it up but you being the person to bring it up again and say i really appreciate that idea and i want to second that really lifting up folks voices an industry is going to be successful if it's diverse mm-hmm. and we were going up like i think when i started in the solar industry five years ago there was 17 percent women in the solar industry we then like bounced up somewhere around like 24 percent, and i think we dropped back down to like 20 22 percent something mm-hmm. like that we're actively working on equity inclusion and diversity here at grid alternatives and It's not something where you can do one training and say, oh, we all no longer have an unconscious bias. 
we all will be totally cool with having a woman leader, woman president, because we will. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we gotta we gotta keep working on it and create those affinity groups, create those support circles, be the support yourselves. The other thing that we sort of talk a lot about is allyship and making sure that we all have allies in the room. And so it's not just women speaking for other women, but it's also men standing up and speaking for other women. One of sort of the funnier terms that's come out of all this is the mantle, where there's a panel uh, at a conference that's all men. All men, yeah. You know, there's uh, a bunch of men in the industry that have taken a pledge to never agree to speak on a mantle. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. And um, I'd love to keep pushing that conversation because it's so important to have everybody just aware of you know, who's representing and speaking for where can we industry. take that pledge? I want to see that one <laughs> in your bathroom. Take the pledge. I, I hereby <laughs> pledge to never join a mantle. Exactly. There you go. You and all of your listeners. Well, I do a lot of moderating. So I hereby pledge to never moderate a mantle. Well, there you go. There we Thank go. you. Yeah. Thank you. The result of not knowing where to go is because of the communities that, mm-hmm. you know, we all sort of spend our time in like recognizing that what a leader in this space could look like outside of that sort of like narrow scope, how we define a leader in the solar industry is I think one big thing that we need to be making sure we're considering like, and some of it is, is also just being really act like active of like bringing like new folks in and new perspectives in. We're having a big party uh, to celebrate our five-year anniversary this September. And um, we are honoring some folks here in the district that, you know, have just done really great things for the environmental and social justice movements and in DC. And those include Dr. Mustafa Ali, who, you know, is at the National Wildlife Federation now, but he used to be at the Hip Hop Caucus and no ran the social justice program at the EPA. And yeah. he's just a wonderful leader in this space. Andy Shalaw is, uh, you know, sort of the founder and owner of the Busboys and Poets chain here in cool. the DC area. And they have very, very strong hiring and diversity practices. So we want to call those out and make sure that, you know, folks know that where we recognize them and sort of bring them into our industry and how do, how do we make the solar industry and, you know, other industries that may have absolutely nothing to do with renewable energy start to blend. Yeah. And that's when you really truly know that you're changing the world. The other thing I just wanted to add to that was one of the things that's really important as part of someone that does a lot of hiring and workforce training and workforce development is that we should make sure we're not only looking at those entry-level positions, but Mm. truly working on career pathways into management and entrepreneurship and, you know, making sure that the company's management reflect sort of the broader diversity of the communities that they're working in. I bet you get a lot of opportunity to interact with folks that are trying to learn and they're actively seeking education in their lives. Do you have a book or set of books that you recommended the most or gifted the most? And could you explore with me why? Hmm. One that I read recently is called Radical Candor. Radical Candor, yeah. And it's how to just be a kick-ass boss, you know, and don't be that ruinous, empathetic person of not providing 
critical feedback and just making sure everybody's happy. Um, that's Kim Scott, right? With the <laughs> with the crosses on the front or the check. Yes, yes, that's it. Orange yeah. book. It's a. I thought it was great. I recommend it to all of my managers. I also really like a book called Waking Up White, and it's just Ooh. really recognizing the privileges of that you have um, yes. as a white person, but then really being able to sort of like tear those layers off and go, wow, like mind blown. That's why I look at that that way. Hmm. I never would have thought it, it just really sort of shaped, helped build a lot of understanding and empathy around sort of shift it the way I look at the world. And so that that's is a that, book I recommend to folks. Is that Start Debbie with, Irving? Is the, finding yes, myself yep, in the story phrase? Yes. You're, you're good at this. <laughs> yeah, I've played this game. Start with why. I think a lot of yeah. people probably recommend that one. And then another one that I just started is uh, Good and Mad, Rebecca Traster. It's just about being female in the workplace and why it's okay to be mad. <laughs> it's called Good and Mad? Good and Mad. That's awesome. Rebecca, last name? Traster. I think I'm saying that right. Okay. I'll, no, I'll find it. Don't worry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we all, I'll, link to, I'll link to all the books and we've got a book club and reading. Reading is a, is a favorite pastime of... The Suncast Tribe. Wonderful. Well, then I will add one more then. Good. There's, a, there's one called Just Mercy. Just Mercy. Okay. And it's, it's written by Brian Stevenson. Okay. And he started the Equal Justice Initiative. It does an incredible amount of work about getting wrongfully prisoned individuals set free. Mm. He recently opened a museum in Montgomery, Alabama, really sort of talking about the history of slavery um, in this country and how Slavery has not ended, but has evolved into our prison system and mass incarceration system and essentially all of our laws setting folks up for wow. the sort of continued evolution of slavery. Part of my staff went down to that museum in Montgomery just a few weeks ago no way. and had a tour and they, they, they came back changed. They said, I look at the world different. I need to be more active it was incredibly powerful. I myself have not been, but I would highly recommend the book Just Mercy. And there's a documentary on HBO right now mm. with Brian Stevenson in it. And I think it's, I don't know if it's called Just Mercy. I think it might be called something else, but um, it's its along the, the same lines of um, criminal justice system and mass incarceration. Yeah. How would folks in a guy engage with you? How would someone find you if they wanted to have uh, such an opportunity? Come volunteer on a grid install. <laughs> Yes. And how would they do that? Uh, go to our website uh-huh. at gridalternatives.org slash midatlantic. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how they would sign up for a volunteer orientation uh-huh. and get it- oriented mm-hmm. uh, so that they can get out on a volunteer install. And uh, is it possible to just to connect with you one-on-one? Is that LinkedIn, Twitter? Is there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. I'm at Electric Steel. No way. That's so good. <laughs> Finally, a question that I always do uh, like to end with. Let's end today with a bold prediction. Nicole, what one thing do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball? We're laying the groundwork for structural change in our society and creating economic opportunity through the development of clean, renewable energy. And maybe that doesn't sound so bombastic, but... You know, we talk about like healthcare and other things as like a basic human right. But like if we're not fully invested in implementing clean energy, you know, we're literally taking away the basic human right of the air we breathe, the land we stand on, the water we drink. Mm. We need to 
actually be looking at structural change and working in those frontline communities to make sure that everyone is lifted up. And you can do that in a number of ways. Grid alternatives is, you know, one way to do it. I think creating you know, more hubs of opportunity of innovation that include everyone that allow for more local entrepreneurship is going to be an incredible piece of that puzzle. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I think more people are going to be driven in that direction because of those, you know, sort of more tangible impacts that they're going to start to see around climate change and folks really wanting to, to get involved as we're sort of like changing the structure of, you know, the, the utility industry and, you know, sort of how we access energy in general, we're going to change the structure of economic opportunity as well. And so that's going to be a big piece. And mm -hmm. so we're talking a lot about like lost jobs through automation and overseas and whatever it might be. We have this opportunity to really sort of turn this on its head. And that's what I'm really passionate about and really excited about. And, you know, sort of, putting a little like resiliency bow on top of it. That's why I get up in the morning. Nicole Steele is executive director of Grid Alternatives Mid-Atlantic located in Washington, D.C., liberating the low to middle income communities from economic and energy poverty. Nicole, it has been a fantastic pleasure, joy, privilege to have you on Suncast. I wish you a happy five-year anniversary today. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, and as you mentioned... Invite folks to visit gridalternatives.org slash midatlantic and sign up for the solar soiree happening on September 19th, just before you head out to Salt Lake City for SPI. So don't miss that. If you're here on the East Coast, make it to DC and then jump over to Salt Lake City for SPI the following week. And of course, if this resonated with you and you would like to see more females, more people of color, more transgender, LGBTQAI leaders in our community on Suncast, then uh, raise your voice as our friend Lauren Glickman did to help get Nicole onto Suncast. Thank you, Lauren, for that. Thank you, Solar Warriors Energy Tribe for joining us today. Nicole, we'll be seeing you soon, friend. Thank you so much. Thanks, Nico. Have a great one. Hey, hey, don't skip out just yet. Are you one of those listeners that hears the end credits and music and just jumps right over to the next episode. Did you know that I usually have another minute or two of conversation right here at the end? Sure, it's mostly about how we can engage, but this is often where I make announcements, thank new tribe members, and get a bit more personal with you. Nicole and I would love to hear your feedback on this episode, and we've even created some fun ways that you can learn more about the work Grid Alternatives is doing. For that, I'll encourage you to head over to Twitter and LinkedIn and follow our conversations. You'll find the Twitter handles and other resources and highlights from these discussions on the blog at mysuncast.com. If you click on the listen link to see the episodes page, then you'll find things like show notes, resource links, book recommendations, and other goodies that we cover in each and every episode. Hey, while you're there, again, I hope you'll check out our Suncast tribe where you could learn more about being part of our inner circle of solar warriors and trusted advisors. Join our book club, and so many other ways that we engage and have fun in the tribe. There's a Slack channel in all. Click on that member button and learn how to gain access to the uncut interviews and tribe exclusives that just don't make it into the Suncast feed. And of course, I want you to subscribe to the newsletter. That way I can 
not so often as you might expect, interrupt your inbox with news about the next episode or where I'll be next. Hey, one of the things that many of you are not so aware of is where I am now. As you're listening to this, I am settling in with my family in Mexico, where I've moved for a year to immerse our children in the culture of Latin America and help them learn Spanish. So no longer broadcasting live from the Durham Suncast studio. I will be back from time to time, but just thought I'd drop that in here in the end for those of you who are the outro credit listening crowd. Really appreciate you guys. Love you. And uh, you've listened this far. So speaking of next week, uh, next Tuesday, I have another fun, short, episode with my friend Etienne Lecomte challenging you to take action on your carbon footprint. So be sure to tune in Tuesday for that Tactical Tuesday mini-sode. As always, I truly value your investment of time here today. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.